Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to read 16 and 17. This is a very important scripture concerning the Word of God. All scripture, everybody says all scripture. How much scripture? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theonoustos is a Greek word, and that means God breathed, God breathed. That's a Greek word, meaning that God breathed the influence into those that were writing the scripture. Now, I'm gonna clarify that because what happens is, is we get lost in just the understanding of the Bible as far as this is God's word, and then we concept that in the sense that everything in there is true, which is not true because there are lies in the scripture. Not that the scripture lies, but there are people telling lies in the scripture. You understand that, right? If you, it, one thing is, is if you read Job, I, I know it isn't like the coolest book to read, but if you read Job, the majority of things stated in Job are lies about God. And at the end of the chapter, God says, let me talk to your friends, Job. And he lines up all his friends. He says, you have done nothing but lied about me. And it's amazing how religion takes those statements and use them for this is God. When God himself said, y'all lied. All you did was lie. So there are lies in scripture. So that doesn't mean everything in there is true. But the truth is, is they wrote down those lies. They wrote down exactly what was happening. We don't have David, Mr. Perfect, Abraham, Mr. Perfect. We don't have that because they are theonustos, God breathed, and that means all their messes were made public. I imagine Peter was probably going, does it have to be this way? Do you have to reveal me putting my foot in my mouth constantly? God says yes. Why? Because we need to see that. We need to see from Genesis all the way through the Bible that God uses a bunch of mistakes. He uses all imperfect people except his son. But he used people that were messed up, messed up. And so that can give you hope, right? It gives me hope. So it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and, and is profitable for doctrine. Everybody say doctrine. Okay, that would, uh, quick definition, what is right. Doctrine, what is right. Next it says, for reproof, what is not right. Okay, all scripture is for what? Showing us what is right, doctrine, what is not right, reproof. Y'all getting this? Okay, for correction, how to get it right. You guys following this? What is right? What is not right? How to get it right? Sometimes you read this stuff, you can get a little scared. God's gonna correct me. Correction's good. Correction's good. Correction's getting you off a trail of, I'm gonna fall in that hole again, to a place where I'm gonna miss the hole. Are you guys hearing? All right for correction, how to get it right, for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right, 
I'll just stay right. That's what the Bible does. And when you can look at it according to what the Bible says it is, then you can receive this in an attitude and a heart of, this is good for me. Because what happens is, is we're trained on this world that when we get in trouble, it is a concept of not good. It's a concept of pain. It's a concept of hurt. It's a concept of broken identity. It's a concept of tearing down. Y'all know I'm talking truth right now. So the tendency is, is we're trained in a world that when we're being reprimanded, we're being corrected, it's usually, you dummy, you're bad. You always do that. And it's not in a place or a position of what God wants, and that is helping us become better. God doesn't point out a problem for the sake of it being seen. God points out a problem for the sake of it being fixed. Once you get that, you can start reading this, and guess what's gonna happen? It all depends on you. Not everybody's the same, but you're gonna start receiving the instruction, receiving these truths, and they're gonna start going. And then what do we do? Well, we either revert to our old nature, which I'm a loser, I'll never be able to do it, I can't do it, I've never, I'm this and I'm terrible, and the Bible's just, look at God's gonna get me and I'm in trouble. That is not at all why we have the scripture, but that's how majority of all Christians live their lives. They see the information of this isn't good, and then they start attacking their identity. And God's going, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this as a loving father. And the purpose of a loving father is to say, son, daughter, that'll hurt you. Don't do that. I want you to do it this way. What usually happens? Well, if you're a parent, you understand all you do is tell them once and it works. Oh, it doesn't? Oh, do I have any parents in here? Does it work that way? Huh, that's interesting. Because that's how we believe every Christian should be. That it's supposed to work now. I told you, don't ever make a mistake. Or God, his grace can't help you. That's what religion does. It totally loses sight of the natural principles of how every human being lives on this earth, which is a complete spiritual truth, and it perverts it. And that's why most Christians are judgmental, not according themselves to other people. And the reason why is because of religious concept of God's word. Everything in here is not to hurt you, but to help you, everything. And I'm telling you, I don't care how spiritual you are, I don't care how long you've been in ministry, listen, I'm, I live this, I eat and breathe this every day. And I've been doing it for years and years and years. And I can still read it every day and get spanked. It's frustrating, because you think there shouldn't be anything in here to spank me. But there'll always be a spanking, why? Because this is the living word. Not every word for today is gonna be received the same way. I'm gonna read a scripture that I've read 100,000 times and it's going to impact me differently. Not that the definition changes, but what I'm receiving changes. Are you guys hearing me? Not every, you're, some of you are gonna get something today, some of you are gonna get a whole bunch today. But it doesn't matter if you're getting something is the key. But we don't judge each other by the basis of, what did you receive? Are you going to repent or not? That is ridiculous. 
That's goofy people trying to manipulate an emotional move. Everybody's the same. And then if you don't come to an altar call, you must be backslidden because I'm crying and it must be God. That is ugly. But that's pre-performed religious church. And that's what we do. We try to get manipulation on the emotions to see if it's really God. And I can tell you right now, been doing this as long as I've done, the Christians that cry the most are the ones messed up the most, not because of the problems they have, but because they continue to stay in them. There's nothing in scripture that says if you cry long enough, if you're very emotional about it, then everything's gonna change. Nothing in the Bible teaches that. Nothing, sorry. Everything in scripture talks about grabbing knowledge, understanding knowledge, walking in that knowledge. When you're emotional, you can't receive knowledge. When I have people in front of me that are emotional, they can tell you. I will first and foremost, in the midst of emotion, say stop. Stop the crying, stop the emotion, and help you until it stops. I'm not being mean, and I'm never in a position of promoting any type of hard, stern attitude. I'm doing it by the Spirit of God, and in the midst of the problem and the issue and the pain, I calm the situation by letting them understand help is for you, but it cannot get there if you're emotional, just so you understand that. And that's how we grow. That's how we mature. But again, this, this is Bible and common sense 101. But since when does most church want common sense? We want an act. And I've, I've been done with that for a few years now, all right? Now, it says that it will what? Reprove, correct, it's profitable for doctrine. For, here's the purpose, for the purpose, that the man or woman of God may be complete. Everybody's saying complete. The King James says perfected. It's not the right word. It's, uh, it, it, it does not hold an understanding of no more problems in my life. I'm perfect. What it is, it, it's, it's usually related to uh, a limb, a, a part of the body that's, that's, there's no need for it to become anything different than that. It's also related to, a, in arithmetic, a whole number. And so when you see that, you're seeing, okay, God's saying that the word of God will do this. It'll place me and fit me to where I'm not needing any other manipulation or change because I'm fitted, I'm, I'm complete. Do you see that? Okay, so it says that you'll be complete, thoroughly equipped. Everybody say thoroughly equipped. That's not partially, that's not a little. That means God is going to put in your life everything that's necessary for service. You are completed in the equipping part for the service. And that's what the word of God will do. Now, what will do it? God's word. God's word. So if we're wanting the benefits of what this says, I've got to receive that word. And receiving that information goes beyond head knowledge. It has to get into the heart. That's the only place where you have the ability to apply it. Because see, you can hear information here. That information can rock your emotions and go, oh, that's good. But until it gets in here, it cannot produce. It, everybody get this. All right, so when you go to any type of course, any type of class in your life, 
whatever it is. Say um, you, you want help in a marriage, you go to a marriage seminar or our upcoming marriage class, all right? You go to that class and you will sit there and all depending on you, not your wife, not your husband, not them saying you better get something from this, all right? You coming, you sit, and then the information that's different than yours starts being presented. So that can be any type of class, any type of course, any type of information that you're wanting to get better in, mature in, get a grasp in. And usually, 100%, it's tied to benefit. So you can work at a job for years and get paid this certain level and even cap off, and they say, when you can learn this, it will produce a higher level but you have to have greater what? Understanding. So what do you do? You take instruction, knowledge, and then you start applying it. You're not perfect. You start applying it until it becomes perfected in the sense that you're not having to process a thought. It's second nature now. So it flows. That's what we want in our marriages, not, and you might be thinking, oh, this is hard. No, no, you're flowing right now in everything you do, everything. Why? Because it's your past. It's, it's what you know from your past. So you easily flow in it. You don't have to get up in the morning and go, okay, oh, okay, how do I do this marriage thing? No, it's, it's flowing. It's, it doesn't mean, if it's, doesn't mean it's gonna be good because if the past is ugly, that's what's gonna flow. And the only way you stop it is new information. That's everything in life, new information. So if I get to a class and I'm listening to the information and I'm going, ooh, that's good, I'm making a statement of truth, but until it gets in the heart, it's just head knowledge. And, and, and knowledge won't set you free. Knowledge is a pathway to freedom, but it won't bring freedom because you have to apply it to receive the benefit of it. Once you apply it, I can sit there in it and, and take computer classes all day long and then go to the company and, and they say, do you know how to do this? And I go, yeah. And then, good, okay, well, well, we'll put you to work. And then you get there and you don't apply what you know. And to start applying other things. What are they gonna say? Well, we're gonna raise, give you a raise because you know how to do it. You're not doing it, but at least you know. No, we would call that dumb, right? Yeah, I don't know if you wanna answer that question real quick. What do we call when you have knowledge and don't act upon it? Yeah, I don't, we don't, none of us want to answer that. Now, uh, a wise man? No, we don't, because we know. That's when we kick ourselves. Gosh, you know better. Only me. Okay, y'all perfect. Okay, I'm the only one that's going to heaven. That's it. All right, so we're gonna look at the seven keys, okay? Number one was make the choice to rejoice. Make the choice to rejoice. It's a choice. It doesn't come naturally. It's a choice. Every day, you want to start now? Now remember, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, we start off, rejoice evermore, rejoice constantly. Then we looked at the Greek word that literally means to starting right now, starting from this point on, from this point on, starting right now. So I get up every day, start my day off, and I make a choice to rejoice. Does that mean everything's happy? No. Does that mean everything's going to be perfect? No. Does that mean I'll never have a pressure in this day? No. 
Well, what does it mean? It means I'm going to make a choice. And when I don't feel like it, I'm going to make a choice to rejoice. How do you do that? Because we're living a life where we assume that our emotions cannot be controlled. How do I know that? Because I hear it all the time. I'm always angry. I'm fearful. And I can say, really? Always? Yes. I'm an angry person. Okay. Do you want to fix that? Yes, that's why I'm telling you I'm always angry. Okay. Why? And they start rap, you know, establishing the reasons why. And then I said, well, what if you change how you thought about that? Like, I, can I do that? Is that possible? Y'all change your thought. Think on whatever you want. Just because something's scary or something's sad doesn't mean you have to think on that. You can change how you're thinking. Once you do that, you change the emotion. Sounds simple. It is. In action, difficult. Why? Because we've trained ourselves to be the opposite. And it's a good crutch. I can get out of problems because they know I'm just angry. They, jo they know I'm just fearful. They know I'm just timid. They know I'm not, I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person. And so we define ourselves based upon what? I'm going to tell you right now. Past. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to define myself, but anything but now and how I see the future. That's how I'm going to define myself. I'm not perfected. And I'm not going to see myself perfected because once I do, I stop learning. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't read this and, it, and it's just like I'm going to put a little notch in my Bible thumping gun. Make sure everybody's gonna get smacked around by it because I'm so special. No. Everything I teach, I had to go through a lot of spankings. It's almost like, why should I even teach it since I'm all stinking miserable right now? But I love it. I know how. I understand it. And everything I do, I thank God and I go, thank you, Father, for that spanky because God never beats me. He loves me. Well, I thought you said he spanked me. Who oh, God loves, he spanks. But not the way you got spanked. Just remember that. I mean, God's spanks are so soft. They are. We get emotional toward them. He's going to go like that. Come on, parents. Do I have any parents in here? Live life with me right now. You know when you spank that child, they act like you just shot them with a gun. You know that. I remember the first time, like, going, are you serious? I even missed, I think. But they, they're like, ah, ah, I'm like going, I haven't even touched you yet. Number two, overcome guilt, regret, self-pity. You got to get over this stuff. Quit walking in this. It's ruining your life. Next time you throw a pity party, don't RSVP to it. All right? Just say, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to it. I'm not going. It's your party. You know how people want to throw pity parties. They want to invite everybody. Let me tell you. <laughs> Next time someone calls you with their pity party, say, not the party I want to go to. Clank. All right? You don't need to get connected with that. You want to love people, help them, but you, want to you don't want to join in pity parties. That will never produce something healthy. 
please. And I know we want people to, you know, let us cry on their shoulder. And we, okay, so for, if it's happening one time and it's for a little bit, go ahead and lean the shoulder over. But it's one time. Don't let it continue on. Don't let it, next day it's the same thing. And I guarantee you, every pity party amplifies itself. It's never, it'll never stay on course. It will always go into wacko land. They just don't love me. And then it's, nobody loves me. My dog doesn't love me. And then it's, the whole world doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. And it just continues on and on and on. Don't, don't go that way, amen? We have to overcome this stuff. Listen, emotions that focus on past, not present, we have to not allow. We have to control our lives, amen? Number three, never let your tragedy become your identity. Never let your tragedy become your identity. Mark chapter five, it's about the, the woman with the issue of blood. And what it is, it's about a woman that spent all her money on all kinds of doctors trying to get herself healed from a bleeding problem. She continued to bleed and bleed and bleed. Now, in the custom of that day, that woman was an outcast in society. She is called unclean in the Levitical law. So what you have to see is not only was she going through a medical issue of bleeding, she also, from the religious crowd, and the custom was is she cannot be around people. Is that crazy? So when she even went to doctors, it was an issue that they had to cleanse themselves after meeting her. Isn't that something? So this woman is filled with, I'm terrible, but I'm miserable in my health. And so she spends all her money. She had to have a bunch of it because it said she went to many doctors and spent all she had. Now she's hopeless. Everybody say hopeless. She's at the bottom floor. No more answers until someone, probably a relative, starts talking to her about what they've seen or heard about Jesus. And pretty soon she's hearing something that concerns her, and that is this. Jesus is going about doing good, healing all. And these weren't perfect people. She's hearing stories of Jews and non-Jews. She's hearing stories of lepers, unclean people, demon-possessed, outcast people. She's hearing all this. She's going, then I need to connect with him. I need to connect with him. And so what happens is, is she hears that Jesus is coming to her town, and she starts saying to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If this is what's happening with all these people, all I have to do is touch it, and I know I'll be healed. And she's saying this over and over and over. And as she's saying this, she's building up what? She's building out the resources of courage because faith will build that courage from within. And all of a sudden, she's not only sees the word, she starts seeing the benefit of the word. And she starts seeing herself 
healthy and whole. How do I know? Because of her action with the knowledge she has. She says, if I touch it, I'm healed. Well, what do you see from that? She doesn't see herself bleeding anymore. She doesn't see herself an outcast anymore. I'm telling you, this is what's happening. So what she does, she goes, gets to the crowd and starts pressing in the crowd. How do I know there's a crowd? Because Jesus, after she touched him and the power went out of him, he said, who touched me? And the disciples that were crowd control going, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. They didn't say crazy, but you know what they were thinking. No, serious. The, the, the disciples weren't perfect, but they were like, Jesus, are you serious? I mean, sometimes, son of God, you're a little, woo. Are you guys following me? Come on, read the Bible real, not religiously. Get into it. Picture. I'm telling you, that's how you get this thing alive within you. This religious book won't help you at all. This book of life will. And everything that's connected, y'all know what to do. You go to movies and I don't care if it's an Avengers Endgame, you're crying. Why are you crying? Because you're in the midst of this. Oh, you didn't cry in that? Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't either. I'm just saying what I know other people did. So she presses in, power releases, and all of a sudden, boom, she feels it. Jesus turns and he says what? My power and me being God has healed you. Hallelujah. No. Woman, your faith made you whole. That's pretty awesome. There's nothing as far as in the natural that says she should get healed. She's spiritual. She's anointed. Now, she's an outcast legally according to law, which is still in effect. She shouldn't even be next to Jesus. Everything about it was, you shouldn't be there. And what does Jesus do? Your faith has made you whole. What, do you, can you imagine what, is, what that has just done for her? Oh my gosh, I would love to read the story of her life because I guarantee you it's filled with success. Guarantee you, I guarantee you it's filled with her impacting other people's lives. Hallelujah, good stuff, good stuff. She pressed in, amen, she pressed in. You're never going to fully live your life if it revolves around death. It's impossible. You've got to get it away and start moving forward. Amen? Psalms 126.5 says this. 126.5. Those who sow in tears. Okay, I'm not trying to, trying to relinquish emotion. There's, God gave us emotion. Can you imagine if we didn't have it? We'd be like this and we wouldn't have any smile, any difference whatsoever. Do you understand what I'm saying? I really don't want you to cross the road because you'll get killed. Ooh, someone died. Oh gosh, that's terrible. All right, well, I'm having a happy time right now. That's how we would be, which that's robotic. That's robotic. So we have the emotions. We have this experience of life, but they should never have us. It's okay to have emotions in the car. Just don't let them drive it. Those who sow in tears shall, everybody say shall, reap in joy. I love this. They who continually go forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. You, you have to really pay attention to what's being spoken as far as the words in the area of emotion and pain. Tears, 
That's not relating usually to something good. Hurt, pain, destruction, death, all kinds of different things, negative, create tears. So in that emotion of tears, it's very interesting what this says for reaping in joy, bearing seed for sowing, and end result shall doubtless come again rejoicing with harvest. And there's tears. But if you look at the picture of that scripture, it shows this. The crying and the pain isn't stationary. <laughs> it's not stationary. It's a continuation and a direction of life that moves forward in the midst of the tears. See, most people, when they're dealing with death, pain in the family, broken, whatever, there's the desire to stop life. And I can, I, I, listen, I get it and I understand this, but let me, let me help you with a term that I believe can set you free. You can't stop, but you can hesitate. You can do this, but you're gonna have to move forward. You can have the pause. You can have the place where you're like going, but you gotta continue to move forward because if you don't, I'm gonna tell you right now, that emotion, that grief, it will do one thing, and that is bring destruction in your life. See, you're weeping over someone. Let's say it has to do with someone you love that's no longer here, that has passed away. And I can understand the freshness of that happening and what will take place in your emotions. And there's that time, and, and it's all dependent upon that relationship, how close it is. And I'm not telling you that it can only last an hour or a day. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is there's a time for grief. And there's a time for others to help you in that grief. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't move forward, everybody has a different way of dealing with it. Everybody has a different time frame. Okay? It could have been your best friend and, you know, you have grief and, you know, an hour you're better. Or it could take a longer period of time to process through. But I'm telling you, it cannot be in a position of you're staying there. You've got to move forward. You move forward, there's gonna be a process of healing for you. All right? Y'all got that? Okay, so you have to get that. That's very, very important. Any sadness that keeps you from going forth in life is an unhealthy emotion. So ultimately, you've gotta move forward and live life. And the best thing to do is live life large from that point. Live life large. Live life large, amen? Number four, release your past. Release your past. Paul says this in Philippians 3.13, brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I, I don't count myself as knowing everything. And this guy knew more than anybody. He knew more than anybody except Jesus. Now follow this because it's very important. With all the understanding, all the knowledge he had, even the, even the apostles that walked with Jesus, remember Paul didn't walk with Jesus, Paul met Jesus later. But remember they walked with Jesus and they're operating as apostles from disciple to apostle and they're powerful men and Paul comes on the scene and he starts talking what the Spirit of God has revealed to him and they're like going, dude, that's too heavy. I mean, we only got to algebra and you're speaking trigonometry. We don't know that. I'm that's in the Bible. 
where they're like going, his, his, they said, his information is heavy. It's, it's heavy. We don't get it. And then Paul goes like this. I don't count, or that's an accounting term. I don't establish in my head that, hey, I know everything. I love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. He goes, but this one thing I do. So I'm not going to allow myself to get all, I know everything. He goes, but this one thing I do, I forget my past. Does that mean he doesn't remember it? No, because there's a point in the Bible where he says, hey, I went to the best Bible college in the world. I graduated at the top of my class. I know more than most people when it comes down to the law. He, he literally said that. I got it. I am an, I understand. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, that's pretty bold, isn't it? And so he makes that comment, but what does he say? He says this, but I want you to understand something. I forget, I release from memory those things which are behind me, and I reach forward. Everybody say reach forward. Okay, in the context of Scripture, there's this. Forget and push. Forget and push. You want change in your life? It doesn't happen by forgetting you have to have the next action of moving forward. That is renewing the mind 101. I received Jesus, everything's gonna get better. No, it ain't, it's gonna go to hell. It's gonna get worse. Why? Because that is a religious, ugly Christian concept that has no Bible truth to it whatsoever. You have just entered into his family, now it's time to, you're born again, to start learning the family traits. How does this new family work? How does this new family operate? That's when you become, what? Mature, successful, you move forward correctly. Without it, it just doesn't automatically happen. That's all what the Bible teaches, by the way. So we have to understand, Paul's saying, listen, I gotta let go of my past, I gotta release my past, amen? Psychologists say that there's two key actions that are needed for forgetting the past. Two key actions, positive thoughts, positive self-talk. It's exactly what the Bible teaches. Positive talk, positive self-talk. Positive thoughts, positive self-talk. All right, what do we do? We live our, woulda, coulda, shoulda. If I would have only. If I should, and we go through what? Living the past, which ultimately, the mind which controls our life right now, as a man or woman thinks, so are they. Whatever I'm meditating on, whatever my uh, predominant thoughts are, that's the direction of life I go. I love this teaching because know what it tells me? That nothing is impossible for me. No matter where I'm at right now, it don't have to stay that way. Why? Because my thoughts can change. I'm in control. I will always be in control of my thoughts. I can be influenced by someone only if I allow it. Only if I allow it. No one, not even the devil. All right. So we've got to release our past, amen? All right, number five. What we know trumps how we feel. What we know trumps how we feel. Understand that. Ephesians 6, 13 says there, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Everybody say evil day. That literally means the negative circumstances or attack right there. 
when that day comes, when the attack comes, because if you look at verse 11, it talks about we're not, we're not ignorant of how the enemy works. So he, he's going to operate a certain way at that evil day. I need to what? I need to have the whole armor of God on. But watch this. It says, having done all the stand, stand. Having done all the stand, stand. What that, in Ephesians, Paul used a lot of, in the Greek language, military terms. It's terms that are used for military purposes. And you would understand that because most of the time he's in prison under Roman guards. So his communication when he's writing is God breathed, but his writing also is tied to a position of what he's seeing and what he's operating in his life. Remember, Paul was attacking the church and he was authority with army to help him destroy the church. So he understands all this. And so what he does is when you've done all the stand, the Greek language literally is a, is a, a, a guy or a gal at a military post commanded to watch guard over something and protect it. So in the concept that we as Christians must understand is, is this is not, yo, what's up? Just hanging, hanging for Jesus. Yeah, no, it's, I'm living for Jesus and I ain't a punk. You ain't gonna push me over. I'm taking a stand. And in this stance, I'm secure in what I know. That's what he wants for us. So he's, when you've done all to stand, stand, amen. When you've done all to stand, do what? Stand, how? He says, stand this way, stand this way. Look at this, stand, therefore, having girded your loins, your waist area, with truth. This area is connected to what God reveals in the scripture, your emotions, your area of soul, the process of thought, the loins of your life. He talks about it in Peter, gird up the loins of your mind. So what it is, it's, a, it's an area of, that's very, 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 very important, but also it's relating to a belt. And in the, in the armor of a soldier in the Roman time, that belt held things together, amen? You know, could you imagine a soldier without the belt, you know, his pants are falling up, and he's going, oh, no, man, I'm losing everything. And, and the breastplate, is attached to it and it's flopping around. And no, it, it, this is a well, well fitted soldier. And that's what Paul's looking at, saying, Look, this is what you need. But notice what he says we gird or we connect, strengthen, help, hold tight with truth. Everybody say truth. That's the Greek word logos. This the truth of God's word. What you know trumps how you feel. You get the information in and let that information dictate to you. And if you're feeling, oh, I just don't know, let the information trump how you feel. I'm just a loser. Wait, information says I'm a winner. Information says I have victory. Information says I'm an overcomer. Yeah, but right now I don't feel. I don't care. What is true say? You guys hearing me? 
listen, I'm, I'm helping you get set free. But if you don't have the attitude correct of hearing and putting this in here, you're going to be manipulated. And those emotions, emotions are going to be unchecked and they're going to unravel. And it is a guarantee it will affect you physically and mentally. Not kind of, it will. It is a scientific medical fact that when you are under that stress, fear, worry, anxiety, sorrow, it is not bringing health to your body at all. So we don't need to be spiritual. We can just look at common sense. It's destroying your life. Stop it. Get the truth here. I don't care what it sees, what, what you're feeling, experiencing. You gotta get the truth because the only way you're gonna grow, the only way you're gonna overcome is for that truth to become alive in you. I promise you, I guarantee it, you can process this, slowly start walking in it. I promise you, you're gonna be free. I promise you, if you hear me, why Jesus would say, do you have ears to hear? He didn't say, are you listening to me? He says, is your heart correct to receive? You have ears to hear. Because if you do, I promise you, I promise you, things are going to change. I promise you. I guarantee it. Why? Because it's not me. It's this. And I know it doesn't lie. And I, knew, I know hundreds upon hundreds, thousands of people that have God holding this. And their lives are not the same aren't perfect. They're still not perfect, but their lives are not the same. Amen. Y'all got that? All right. So number six, don't let go of what you know from what you don't know. Don't let go of what you know from what you don't know. Perfect story is um, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse five and six, Jesus quotes Isaiah to one of John's disciples. He says, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Why is he saying this to his disciples? Because they said, John wants to know, are you the one? John the Baptist is going, go ask Jesus if he is the one. Are you kidding me? You were there baptizing him and you heard God go, this is my son. You know he's the one. You know he's the one. You've seen it in Isaiah and you've seen it in real life. You know he is, but what's happening? John's in prison about to lose his head. What's happening? He's in a miserable time right now. He's a little emotional right now. And in that emotion, in prison, in the depths of prison, knowing that he's about to die, he starts thinking, I don't know, should I be here? And how come I'm not saved? And how come Jesus didn't come help me? Oh, yeah. It sort of sounds like today with people. And he starts throwing a fit and allowing his emotions to deny the knowledge he has. And he could have at that time said, wait, I rebuke that. No, he is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God. And it doesn't matter what I'm dealing with. It doesn't matter what circumstance I'm in. It doesn't matter. I know the truth, and I'm applying that truth, and I will be set free from that truth. So I know he is the Christ, the Holy One, the Son of God. You know what that's going to do? That's going to empower him to overcome whatever situation he's in. But instead, he let his emotions rob him of the knowledge he had. Don't allow your emotions. I've seen this over and over and over in Christians' lives. 
They get excited about the word. They get the truth of God's word in it. All of a sudden, something happens. And I guess it's just not God's will. Dude, you just got the word. You know what the word says. And because it isn't working, we start denying. This thought just came in my head. Delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. When I see scripture, there are many times I see delay, but it doesn't mean denial. And a lot of times we're standing in faith, we're believing God, we're doing all kinds of things, and that delay is where we usually start wavering. How do we waver? How do you waver? Wavering comes from one way, and Scripture makes it clear. And this is a a psychological fact. It comes when another thought comes in that's opposite of the one you have. That's when you start wavering. You control your thought. You take thoughts captive. You can get rid of the thought that's trying to rob you of truth. That's what the devil did. That's exactly how he operates in the life of the beginning of creation. Talking to Eve, he did what? He started planting seed that contradicted God's word. That's what he'll always do. And he bases it upon what? Your experience. If the devil comes to me and says anything like, yeah, well, look what happened there. I go, yeah, isn't that true? I ain't perfect, fool. That doesn't change God's word. I just know I'm not perfect. You bet I'm gonna screw up. And guess what? Devil, my boys, they're perfect, but they make mistakes. And he's gonna go, yeah, that's right, flee. That's how you resist. You know God's word above his lie. And he's gonna do that. Well, if God really loved you, if God really cared. That's, that's the enemy's tactics. Thank you, Jesus. Ain't God good? Listen, we've got to allow this information to enter into our hearts so we can live it. And number seven, God loves you and he is good, period. Until you get that, it's very difficult to look at a fresh start. Because see, this is the kingdom. We're part of his family. You have to get hold of and understand this is the desire of God. He doesn't just say stuff like this. He's a covenant God. We have difficulty in this area because we can sign a a contract and then blow it off. You know, ah, there'll be consequences, whatever. In their day and age, a broken covenant is death. There's no, you know, ah, we'll catch you later. You go in forbearance, you know, 20 years, whatever. We'll get our money. No, no. In that covenant day and age, we see it like in Jeremiah 2, the principle of the covenant is this. They take, a, you know, a bull, a ram, you know, whatever was needed for the covenant purpose. They would cut the thing, cut it in half. It was a bloody, bloody, bloody time. But they would literally kill that animal, cut it in half, and in those halves, they would walk in it together. The blood the death and everything about it. Yeah, this was discovery, bam, right there. Shark Channel, week didn't have nothing on this, all right? So here they are, they're walking through this, and then they would proclaim this. Let it be known that if this covenant is broken, that is what you'll become. In other words, you will be destroyed. That is the covenant back in those days. Abraham comes out of a, a family line of, moon worshipers, he has something in him that goes, you know what? I tend to believe there's a one God in this. 
And I believe that's his heart. He's like going, I believe in one God created all this. Abram. God speaks to Abram years after the Tower of Babel. So what do we have? Abraham's very limited in people like him. People aren't around going, oh, yeah, I believe in God. He's probably one of the very few, very few, that even have a concept of God. And God takes him and chooses him. Ultimately, what happens is God says, I'm going to create a covenant. What was the covenant tied to? Blessing. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your seed great. He speaks these promises that are amazing to Abram. And then he says, we're going to cut covenant. And what does he do? He puts Abram to sleep. How are you going to cut covenant with them? Because God understands what we should understand, and that is the chain is only as powerful as the weakest link. If he cuts covenant with Abram, it's only as powerful as Abraham is. And we already know he's screwed up. That guy's messed up. He'd be selling his wife twice, all right? I mean, that's the father of faith, yeah. But the point is, is that's who God picked. And what do we see? We see God going, now I'm gonna put you to sleep. I'm gonna cut covenant with me. And he cuts, he, Abram gets the bulls, the rams, the, the, the birds, cuts these things in half, lays them on the side. There's so much detail and information there, I can't get into it right now. But the point is God smoking furnace, furnace Jesus, a lighted torch, they both cut covenant and walk through this sacrifice. God said, Abram, my covenant to you is with me can't be broken. And then Galatians and other areas of the epistles say that same covenant belongs to us. It is an unmovable covenant of God's blessing and his love for us. This ain't, I just say I love you, just believe it. This is a covenant that God put in blood and it's unmovable. And that's why you need to understand when it comes to, comes to God's picture and view of you, it goes beyond what you could ever imagine or think. It is unchangeable, unmovable, and his view doesn't change about you because that covenant ultimately was put on the cross and died for you. But on the third day, he rose again. And that is what we're connected to, the life of Jesus in that covenant. And that's why your day can start fresh every day. Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.